Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Hosea chapter number 14. Hosea chapter number 14. If you still have not received the notes, by the way, this morning, just raise your hand and uh, the ushers will get one right to you. That way you can follow along. Uh, if you're wondering where those notes might be, if you've already received a bulletin, they should be there inside of the bulletin. And it's just a way that you could follow along as we study God's Word together. And we're going to continue. In fact, this is our last message in the series of Behold Our God. And we've, we've learned quite a bit over the last few weeks about who God is. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to return to the book of Hosea. We learned last week uh, a little bit, uh, and we studied in Hosea chapter 4, we learned that God is uh, a God that will judge uh, His people. And uh, how important it is to, so, to see God as who He is, as our judge. And we learned what it is that He judges when He looks at us and when He sees His people. But this morning we want to look at God being our answer. And so we're going to go back to Hosea chapter 14 this morning instead of Hosea chapter 4. We looked at 4 last week, but we're going to look at Hosea chapter 14. Once you get there, you can just put a marker really quick. And I also want to read Hosea chapter 6. All right, Hosea chapter 6, uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. So Hosea 14, you can put a marker there. And then Hosea chapter number 6, we'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. And the reason being, we're going to contrast both of these passages this morning as we study God's Word. So I want to read Hosea chapter number 6, uh, verse number 1, 2, and 3 first. It says like this, it says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to, the Lord, to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Now look at Hosea chapter 14, verse number 1. It says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto Him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will he render the calves of our lips. Assure shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the prophet Isaiah that has so much to teach us about what it means uh, to worship you and uh, really what it means to know who you are. Father, so many truths in this book that we can learn today and apply in our life. And I pray that this morning as we study this passage that you would speak to us in a way that is real, uh, speak to us in a way that is personal. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, help me to communicate this message clearly, but Father, help uh, me to not get in the way of your Holy Spirit. May your Spirit speak to our hearts directly. May we not, under, not only understand your word, but may we also apply your word into our life. May we allow it to transform us and mold us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Discouraged. Why do the shadows come? Why does my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and earth? When Jesus Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is He. 
His eye is on the sparrow And I know He watches me His eye is on the sparrow And I know He watches me So I sing because I'm happy I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. So I sing because. I'm happy and I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know He watches, and I know. Well, the life of the prophet Hosea provides an amazing picture of God's faithfulness to us, a faithfulness that is ever-present throughout all times and throughout all circumstances in our life, one that is not dependent on our works or on our goodness, but one that is dependent rather on His love and on His grace. He is the answer for our life, uh, the advocate that we can turn to, the one uh, that is always there for us. You know, I was listening to or reading a story, I should say, uh, about Babe Ruth, uh, uh, something that happened to him really late in his career. Uh, he ended up ending his career with the, uh, the Braves. And uh, if you know a, a little bit about Babe Ruth, you'll know that he's considered by many as the greatest baseball player of all time, a man that in his career uh, hit 714 home runs, a man that was uh, very much well-known uh, in America, at one point perhaps the most popular man in America during the 20s and 30s when he was in his baseball prime. But at the end of his career, of course, he was a little bit older and he wasn't really hitting the way he used to when he was younger. He wasn't throwing as well as he used to. And in one game, the Braves were playing the Cincinnati Reds. And, and as they were playing, uh, Babe Ruth was having one of the worst games he'd had all season. In fact, uh, as a result of errors in one inning, the Cincinnati Reds scored five runs, all because of the errors that Babe Ruth had. Well, at the end of the inning, when they finally got the third out, as Babe Ruth was going back to the dugout, the whole uh, fan section there began to boo and hiss at him and tell him how bad he was and we're not being very kind to him. And, and as he's running to the dugout and people are doing this, there's a little uh, seven-year-old boy that was there in the front row and began to cry and Overcome with emotions, he, he decided he was just going to jump the, the fence there, and he jumped onto the field and ran right over to Babe Ruth and just gave him a big hug. Of course, Babe Ruth, upon seeing him, hugged him, picked him up and gave him a hug and then put him back down and patted his head, his head gently. Well, in that moment, everybody was so shocked, not only about the kid getting uh, up and jumping the fence and going over to Babe Ruth, but they were shocked that... Babe Ruth, even though he was having the worst game he'd ever had that season, he was still willing to pick up a child and hug him 
and tell them it was going to be okay. In fact, the whole stadium went deathly silent in that moment. As I was reading that story, it made me think about what we are studying this morning. In the book of Hosea, what you see about God is not only a God that will judge his people, but a God that is the answer for his people. A God that is an advocate or one that is for you. One that wants to see you succeed. And, and I don't think there's any better prophet to really illustrate that than the prophet Hosea. Now, we didn't study this last week, but Hosea was uh, an interesting kind of prophet. In the first three chapters of the book of Hosea, he shares a little bit of his life. He shares a little bit of his situation. And in verse number two, you find that Hosea was commanded by God to go and marry a woman by the name of Gomer. And Gomer was a, a woman that was a harlot. She was one that would sleep around with people that was in a, uh, in, in a harlotry or whoredom, as the Bible would put it. And God said, I want you to marry this woman, Gomer. And she's going to be unfaithful to you. You're going to have three children with her. And he did have three children. And every name that he gave his children meant something different about what God was going to do with his people. But he said, I want you to go and marry her. And you're going to serve as a picture to the people of Israel of my love for them. You see, he said, the people of Israel are like that wife of yours, Gomer, that has gone and slept around with all these other men. The people of Israel have gone and been unfaithful to me by worshiping all these false gods. And yet I'm still going to love them. Hosea was one that was still going to have to love Gomer, though she was not returning that love, though she was not being faithful to him, he was still going to be faithful to her. And upon giving that testimony, then he goes into chapter four and what we studied last week. Now, when you get to chapter number six, Hosea has given them the message. Hosea has told them, this is what God judges God is judging your lack of faithfulness and your lack of mercy, your lack of acknowledging God as who he is, as the God of your life. And at the end of chapter 5, it's something interesting, and I want you to notice it really quick. If you'll turn there, in chapter 5, verse 15, God says this. He says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Then in verse number six, the first verse says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us. You know, after he gives that message, it seems like the people respond in a way that, that seems like it would be a good response. They say, Come, let us return unto the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm all about people coming back to the Lord. I'm all about people that have made wrong choices in life coming back to to God. But I want you to notice that in chapter number six and verse number one and chapter 14 and verse number one, though they're very similar, though the, the invitation to return to the Lord is the same, there's two different ways of going about it. There's two different ways in which we can come to the Lord. You see, it seems like in chapter number six, though they were rallying with one another and saying, hey, guys, we need to come back to the Lord. It seems like it was a little bit of a false repentance. It seems like there was something in there that really wasn't genuine on their part. They were looking for God as an answer, but not the answer. They were hoping God would change their situation and just get them out of a situation rather quickly. But they really didn't want God to change them just the situation, just the circumstances. You know, sometimes in our life, we can get like that. There are times where you can come to church and you're just sort of coming to hope that God will do something to change your circumstances in your life. You're not necessarily looking for God to change you, just change the people around you. Just change the people at work. Just change your circumstances at work or at home or with some friends and family. 
But you know that God doesn't want to change your circumstances as much as he wants to change you. God doesn't want to just be an answer in life. He wants to be the answer for your life. So this morning, as we contrast chapter 6 and chapter 14, I want to point out two truths that we can learn about God that makes him our advocate, our helper. Understanding what Hosea's life was like, understanding the picture of who he pictures as God and his wife pictures as us. I want you to notice how he says at the end, we can come to God, not with a false repentance, but with a true repentance for him. I want you to notice, first of all, if you're taking notes, that we must come to God in repentance, not in religion. We must come to God in repentance, not in religion. You see, it was a tendency of Israel to go to God in a religious attitude for his blessing. The thought was that God would do whatever was asked of him as long as they did certain religious ceremonies. You'll notice in chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, they say, let's come and return unto the Lord. Let's, let's seek after him. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge him. And, and uh, you know what? I, I found that if you just acknowledge God, God is like, he's like the morning dew. He's always there. He's like the latter rain. He, he's going to bless us. If we just do these things, God will bless us. The attitude was more on if we do this, not if we are this. You'll notice there that they had this mindset of religiousness. Let's just do this and then God will bless. I want you to notice in verse number four, the reason I, I believe that it was a fake repentance, I believe that it was something that was kind of like, let's just do this, let's just come back to the Lord, but not really, not really give him ourselves. Let's just, let's just ask God to change the circumstances is because of this. Look at verse number four. He says, oh, Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as early dew it goeth away. He said, you guys are not even faithful to me. He said, therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as a light that goeth forth. He said, for I desired mercy, verse 6, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He said, you know, I... I'm not just asking for you to be religious. I'm not just asking, oh, well, God's angry with us. And hey, have anybody heard the prophet Hosea? He's saying that God is going to judge us for our lack of faithfulness and mercy and, and our lack of acknowledging God. So let's just bring him some burnt offerings and maybe appease him that way. Do you know in the false uh, religions and in the, the, the false gods that we're, we're being worshipped in the time in, uh, uh, that Israel is, is here in, in the book of Hosea, they would have ceremonies to appease their gods. They believed that if they did something to offend their God, then their God would come and judge them. And so uh, those people that were pagan people that would worship pagan gods would, would do whatever ritual they thought was necessary to appease their God. And they thought, if we just do this, then things will be okay. And that kind of mentality poured into Israel. When Israel stopped acknowledging God and going after God, they found that that philosophy of worship came into their place. And now they were looking at God like that calf that was built in some area for them. And they said, oh, there's God. He's represented as this calf. Oh, and God is angry, so let's just appease him as we can. Let's just return to him. But you know, religion can never make God draw near to you or you near to God. The only thing that can bring that relationship back together is repentance. You see, religion is a lot of rituals. And let me just say, God wasn't offended at burnt offerings. God wanted them to sacrifice burnt offerings. It wasn't that God didn't want them going to the temple. God wanted them going to the temple. But why they went was even more important. It wasn't just the fact that they went. It wasn't just the fact of what they said, but why are you saying that? What is it that you really want from God? Do you want him just to be an answer in your life or the answer of your life? And God told them, listen, it's not that I'm against burnt offerings. I'm just against your burnt offerings. You see, you have this mentality, if you just do this, then I'm okay. He said, but I'd rather you have real mercy than your burnt offerings. In other words, I'd rather you be different 
than say you're different. I'd rather you be something else than me just change your circumstances. He said, I'd rather you truly repent than just give me your religious exercises. You know what repentance entails? Look at Hosea chapter 14. In chapter 6, they said, just come and let us return unto the Lord. But look at what they say in chapter 14. He says like this, he says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Do you know what iniquity is? It's sin. He says in verse 2, take words with you, or take with you words, and turn to the Lord, saying to him, take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. Do you notice in chapter 6, not one time is the word iniquity mentioned? Let us return unto the Lord, they say. Because listen, he's the one that has torn us, but he'll put us back together. Oh, he'll, he'll give us the latter rain. He'll bless us. Based on what? Based on your burnt offerings? Based on the sacrifices that you give him? Based on the religious duties that you perform? You see, that's what they thought. In chapter 6, upon hearing the message of Hosea, this is how the people respond. And God says, I will go and return until they acknowledge me. And then they say, well, let's come and let's return it to the Lord and let's give him these ritualistic things. But sin was never mentioned. It was no true repentance. It was just a religious activity. You know, I have found that many times the reason we don't draw closer to God, the reason that we don't find a closer relationship with Him, is that many times we want to give God our religion, but not our repentance. You see, we want God to change everything around us, but just not us. I don't want you to change all of my family. I don't want you to change me. But God says, I want to change you this morning. I don't want to simply change everything around you, but I want to change you this morning. Now, how does that happen? Well, it comes with repentance. Well, what is repentance? Well, first of all, it's the awareness of sin. If you're really going to repent, if you're going to make this relationship uh, get closer to God, if you're going to have God's favor in your life, if he's going to be, become your advocate instead of your judge, if he's going to be the answer of your life, you must understand that your repentance must be and must contain an awareness of sin. In other words, that sin is sin. You can't rename it to something else. You can't make it be something else. They're not uh, wicked. Uh, they're, they're not just uh, symptoms of a disease. Sometimes we want to rename our sin. You know, some people have a hard time saying, yeah, I sinned. You know what's a lot easier is to just say, oh, I just made a small mistake. But there in chapter 14, it said, it did, the people didn't say, oh, let us return to the Lord and forgive our mistakes. It was their sin. Wasn't this their diseases? And sometimes we, we want to make that what it is today, right? You've got all these professionals and, and psychologists and psychiatrists that, that want to make sin some sort of disease and mental illness. And, and we're, we're getting away from people just calling sin, sin. Drug addiction is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Gender neutrality, it's sin. You see, repentance is calling sin, sin. It's an awareness of what sin is. It's an awareness that sin is serious. I like what Isaiah 59 says. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, that's your sin, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, something we need to acknowledge this morning is that sin is serious. It has consequences that are destructive, that are terrible. It's not something to be taken lightly. You'll find as you read the history of Israel, one of its kings before uh, the time of Hosea, a king by the name of Ahab. It says of Ahab that he was a man that was ungodly. He was a man that brought even more idolatry into the land of Israel. 
So much so that it says of Ahab that he thought it a light thing to sin. It was something that he really didn't even take serious anymore. You know, I wonder how many of us this morning are looking at sin as something light. How many of us are not really calling sin for what it is, something that is destructive? It's just, oh, you don't understand, Pastor. It's just a bad habit that I have. It's just something that, that I just need to overcome. It's, it's just some small mistakes in my life. No, it's sin in your life. True repentance always involves the, the awareness that sin is sin. That sin is serious. But not only do you need to be aware of sin when you repent, but then you must turn from specific sins. Notice what it says in chapter 14 and verse number two. It says, take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So we will render this. It says, so we will render the calves of our lips assure shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. You see the specificness of their sin? They said, we're not going to find uh, the answer somewhere else. God, we're going to look for you. God, we're not going to make things in our lives that we've built with our hands and say, we're going to worship this. This is our God. This is the one who created us. No, we're only going to look towards you. You know, Idolatry still runs rampant in many lives today. Oh, you may not have a statue in your home that you go and worship and bow down to. No, we'd probably look at that and say, I mean, that only happened in ancient history. That really doesn't happen too much today. Though there are many religions that still practice that. No, but our idol worship is a little more subtle than that. Sometimes our idol worship is a little bit more of Money and paper. Sometimes our idol worship is success. Sometimes our idol worship is popularity. Sometimes our idol worship is the computer or social networking. Sometimes we spend so much time with these things that it becomes the God of our life. It becomes the priority of our life. God says, I want you to understand if you're going to repent, you got to be aware, hey, this is some sin in my life, and here's some specific sins that I have. You see, we must confess that sin. I like what Hosea says there in verse 2. He says, take with you words. <laughs> There's something about confession that really helps you to clean, cleanse your soul. There's something about confession with your mouth that makes it difficult. Have you ever noticed, if you're married this morning, how hard it is to say, I was wrong? As husbands, we hate that. It's a good thing it rarely happens. <laughs> I'm just joking. It does happen more than rarely. Have you noticed that when you offend your wife, husbands, it's hard to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? It's a lot easier, have you noticed, to say, hey, it's because I was frustrated. Oh, it's because I had a long day. Sometimes we get in that habit of, Covering that sin, as I said before. Oh, it's just the circumstances of my life led me. No, it was the sin in your life that led you to do that. And that's why we must confess it. Don't say it in general terms. You know, sometimes when it comes to confession of sin, it's always general, right? You ever notice that? Maybe you've done that because I've done that in my prayer life. Like, God, just forgive me for whatever I've done today. You know, you know what's wrong. Just forgive me for that. God says, I don't want you to speak in general terms. And then he says, I don't want you to speak about the sins of others. You know, that's another easy thing to do when it comes to confession. I've noticed it's really easy to pray for my, my two boys, you know, and God, you know their attitude, God? Oh, it's terrible. You know, their work ethic, God, oh my word. I don't know if they're ever going to learn how to work. And they're, you know, they just need to obey more, God. Help them with their obedience. And, and listen, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, to look at someone and, and pray for their weaknesses and pray for the sin in their life. But God says, but what about the sin in your life? You know what's difficult is as parents, sometimes you find out that what your weaknesses are are your children's weaknesses. 
If you pray for them, you'll find like, oh man, I need that prayer for me more than I need it for Elijah. Oh my goodness. God says true repentance is not just being aware of sin, but it's turning from some specific sins in your life. You need to confess those sins, but then you also need to forsake them. One of the things that the people said there in chapter 14 is that, hey, we're not going to tell the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. They're going to forsake it. That means that you're not going to continue in it. You're going to turn away from doing it. You're going to stop it immediately and not go back to it. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God said, it's really simple. When it comes to repentance, first of all, you've got to understand there's sin. Be aware of that. Secondly, confess that sin and be specific about it. If you can confess it and forsake it, you'll find mercy. God said, I will find and be merciful to you. I will come out from where I was hiding. I will come out from where I was and come to you. You see, in chapter 5, verse 15, he said, I'm going to return to my place until they acknowledge that I am the Lord. They say, hey, come, let us return unto the Lord. He's going to heal us. He has torn us, but he'll heal us. He's going to bless us. And God says, bless you. He says, I'm not desiring burnt offerings. I'm not desiring sacrifices. I'm not desiring some religious thing that you're going to do. You know what I really want? He said, I desire mercy. Chapter 6, verse 7, I desire mercy. More than your sacrifices, more than your burnt offerings, I desire you to be merciful. You'll notice that throughout the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, everything that he said about them lacking faithfulness, he talks about. I think in verse number 5, in chapter 6, verse 5, he says, you know what? Your faithfulness, you know what it's like? It's like the cloud. It just, it's here one minute and then it disappears. It's like the dew in the morning. You ever get up early enough where your yard is all wet? Then by like 8.30, it's all dry, especially down here in the valley. Maybe like 6.30, it's all dry here in the valley. But you ever notice that dew doesn't stay wet all the time? It gets dry real quick. God said, you know, your faithfulness is like that. You know that your mercy is a bunch of phoniness and fakeness. It's a bunch of religiousness. He said, you know, that, that acknowledgement of me, it's false. He said, if you're really going to return to me, you must understand you have to be aware of that sin that's there. You, you need to turn from that sin. Be specific about it. You know, there was a man that, that was walking from... Uh, uh, New York City to San Francisco. And if you can imagine, that's a very long walk. I don't know exactly the mileage, but uh, he had decided he was going to walk all the way from New York City to San Francisco. And the man was able to do it. He was able to cross some of the mountains and cross the deserts all on foot to get all the way to the city of San Francisco. Well, uh, when he obviously accomplished this rare achievement, a lot of uh, reporters and stuff wanted to interview him and, and ask him different questions about that trip. And one reporter got a hold of him, asked him, he said, what was the most difficult thing that you had to do in this, in this last uh, uh, crossing that you had from New York to San Francisco? What do you feel was like the most difficult thing you had to face, the biggest hurdle in that whole, uh, in that whole adventure there from, from New York City to, to San Francisco? And he said, you know, most people think it was the mountains. He said, other people think it's the deserts that I had to walk through. But he said, you know, the one thing that actually almost got me to quit wasn't the mountains and it wasn't the deserts. He said, the one thing that almost got me to quit was the sand that was in my shoes. He said, it rubbed so much and hurt so much, I almost quit. You know what will stop you from getting back to the Lord? You know what stopped the people of Israel from returning to the Lord? Was that sin in their life. Those specific sins that they weren't willing to confess. The, the sins that they were not willing to forsake. And this morning, it'll be the same with you. We can be here in church and we can sing and we can teach a class and we can do a whole lot of good things. Let me just say, if we're never aware of the sin in our life, 
if we never confess it and forsake it, then God will never visit us. We can encourage one another. We can have great music. We can have great programs. But God won't be in it. See, that's what happened with Israel. I told you that during the time of Hosea, it was their, the, the peak of their kingdom. Near the beginning of Hosea's ministry, they were at the peak of their kingdom. There was so much prosperity economically. That when they're looking at Hosea and hearing him say this, they're going, okay. Okay, 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 we'll, we'll come back to the Lord. And they thought that was going to be okay. They didn't want to come back in repentance. They didn't want to come back aware of their sin. They just wanted the Lord to get rid of their circumstances. But you'll notice that God never did that. In fact, God rebuked them in chapter 7 and chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, 11, and 12. Listen, read all those chapters. You'll find that Hosea's message is God rebuking the people of Israel. You see... If you're going to really repent, you've got to have an awareness of sin. You've got to turn from that sin. Lastly, I'll just say you have to appeal to the grace of God. You'll notice that it says in verse 2, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. You know, as a person appeals to the grace of God, you, you have to admit that there's no good thing in you. In other words, you have to come to God recognizing you have no quality or merit from which you can approach Him, but simply His grace in your life. You know, sometimes we, we approach God with an attitude of, hey, God, hey, at least I'm here. And God, yes, I'm not perfect, but God, look at what I am doing for you. And God says, I want you to understand that anything you do is because of my grace. There is no merit for us. It's not because of our talent. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so good at what we do. No, God says it's because of my grace in you. Uh, in Isaiah 64, 6, God says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Understand this morning that you are, as Paul said, you are what you are by the grace of God. Whenever you come to God in repentance, understand you can't come with an attitude of, at least I'm not that person. At least I'm not as bad as him. At least I'm not as bad as the people that run our country. At least I'm not as bad as uh, the church over there or the priest over there. No, God says, I want you to understand that when you come to me, you need to make an appeal to my grace for you. That's the only thing that will change you. That's the only thing that makes a difference is the grace of God in your life. And we must accept his forgiveness. Believe that you're no longer guilty of that sin, but cleansed from any and all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hosea said this, Listen, God's not looking for religion. He wants repentance. You want God to be the answer of your life? Come to him in repentance, not with your religion. And you'll see he'll change you. But I want you to notice, secondly, and this will be quick. Secondly, we must believe that God will restore us. The picture that best illustrates this is Hosea. I told you at the beginning that Hosea was a man that was, uh, was commanded by God to go and marry a, a girl by the name or a lady by the name of Gomer who was a, a harlot, a whore. One who had gone to different whoredoms and different houses. It got to the point that she left her kids, she left Hosea, and she went to live that lifestyle. But it wasn't satisfying. Finally, by the time that people were done with her, they sold her into slavery. And for many years, she was just a slave. And Hosea says that he was told by God, now I want you to go to where they're selling slaves. And there you'll find that woman. And he says, I want you to buy her back. And I want you to love her. And keep her as your wife. You know what God wants to do when we come to him in repentance? He wants to buy us back. 
You know, for the person that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible says he has redeemed us. That means he buys us back from slavery. You see, sin has the power to enslave people. Whoso committeth sin is a slave to that sin. That's what Romans teaches. But God has the power to redeem you. God wants to restore you and me today. God wants to do exactly what Hosea did with his wife. He says, here, here's this money. I want to buy her back from me. But she wasn't faithful to you. I know, but I love her. Yeah, but did you hear what she said about you? I know, but I love her. But don't you realize, Hosea, what she did and who she is? Yes, I know, but I love her. See, God wanted to restore that. God wanted to use Hosea and his situation to picture for us today what it means to come back to the Lord. What it means to have God's restoration in our life. You see, when you come in repentance to God, he'll restore you. I want you to notice really quick what he'll do. First of all, he will heal your waywardness. Look at verse number four. He said, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for mine anger is turned away from him. He said, I will heal their waywardness. He promises to help you stay right. He will be that guide for you. No longer will you find yourself alone and lost in the world. You won't be going after false gods anymore. God said, you know that waywardness of how you would go on a path that was wrong? He said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal that backsliding. He said, I will, I will guide you, but not only guide you, I will guard you. You say, God doesn't just want to guide you from your waywardness. He wants to keep you from sin. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 there in your notes says, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you. That word keep there means guard. He'll guard you from evil. God wants to restore you by healing your waywardness. He wants to restore you by loving you unconditionally. It says there in verse 4, I will love them freely. I wonder if you believe that this morning. God says he loves you and he never lies. God says, I want to restore you. And he's able to do it. You know, sometimes that's really difficult for us to believe. Because of the sin in our life. I wonder if Gomer ever thought, I wonder if Hosea really loves me. Does he really mean it? Look, all that I've done to him, does he really mean it? And sometimes when we have sin in our life, that's what we think. We hear, God loves you, and we think, does he really mean that, though? I mean, God knows what I did this week. He knows what I said. He knows what I texted. He knows what I thought. And God says, believe me, I will love you freely. It's a love that is unconditional. You got to believe it. You got to receive it. Accept his love to you that is given freely. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to buy it. Don't try to pay for it. Just simply receive it. Just believe God when he says he loves you. It's because he loves you. Receive that love. Live in that love. There's so many people today that come to church and they, they feel guilty about everything they did Monday through Saturday. And I'm not saying you can live however you want Monday through Saturday, but I'm just saying you shouldn't live in the past. That is your past. You should live each day saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And because he loves me today, I will serve him. Not based on how good I am, but based on his grace for me. Based on his love that is for me. Then I want you to notice that God will not only restore you and restore your Love to be unconditional. Not only will God heal your waywardness, but God will restore you totally. God will restore you totally. In verse 5, 6, and 7, you'll find that God will restore you in different ways. First of all, He gives you back your beauty. You see, He says in verse 5, I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth His roots as Lebanon. The picture there is that, that beautiful flower of a lily, that beautiful tree that's been planted and it's beginning to blossom and bloom. God says, I want to restore your beauty. God says, I want to restore your strength. 
I want to restore that strength, he says, by casting your roots as the trees of Lebanon. Trees that are huge, trees that are massive, strong. Hosea paints the picture, hey, God wants to restore you to your strength. And thirdly, he says, I want to restore you to your value. He talks about the olive tree there because olive oil obviously was something very valuable at that time, something you cooked with, something you, you used for light, you use it for everything. It was something very valuable in that day. God says, I want to restore to you your value. He says, I want to restore to you your joy. He says, they that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn, grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. He says, I want you to have joy in your life. Be delighting in what I'm doing. That fragrance, something that smells great, something that brings joy into life. And then lastly, he says, I, I want to give you abundance. That's why he speaks of the corn and speaks of the wine. God says, I, I want to restore to you the abundance that I have. Later, by another prophet by the name of Malachi, he would say, try me in this. Try me in this and see if I won't open up to you the blessings of heaven. So much so that you can't receive them. You know what God was telling them? I want to restore you. I really do. So how do I get that restoration? Through repentance. It's not religion today. It's repentance. Repentance always brings restoration. 1995, there was a man that was visiting Amsterdam and he went to the Rijks Museum. It's a very famous museum. It has very famous... Uh, paintings in there, and there was a, a painting uh, by the painter Rembrandt. The painting was called Night Watch, and this, this man walked in there, got past security, got a butter knife, and slashed up all of that painting. There were zigzags all over it. What was amazing is that the museum did not decide to just get the painting and throw it away. What they did was they got the painting and they got the best experts that they could find from all over the world to come and restore that painting. The only way that you can see that there's been any mess up in that painting is if you look very, very close and you've got to be basically in front of it live. And they've restored it totally to how it looked when it was first painted. That's what God wants to do today. God doesn't want to be an answer in your life. God wants to be the answer of your life. He can answer questions like, what do I do about my sin? He answers the question, does anyone really love me? He answers the question, can I really change? You see, because God's not only your judge this morning. God's your advocate. He's your helper. How do I go from having God be my judge to God being my helper? Repentance. God wants repentance this morning, not religion. And God wants to restore you. I wonder, will you allow God to work in your life? The people of Hosea's day said no. At the end of 50 years of preaching that message, the Assyrian army came, took the people of Israel back to their country, and they never returned. Never. This morning, that doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to have a story that says, I, I quit on God. You can have the story, God restored me. God changed me. God is the answer of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the ministry of Hosea and the message of Hosea that reminds us this morning that you are a God that judges sin. That's true. But you're also a God that wants to help, that wants to forgive, that wants to show mercy. You're a God that wants to bestow grace on people. And I pray that this morning, if there be any that are in that kind of need today 
Father, I pray that we would turn to you in a right way. Not in a false way, not with just what we do, but with who we are. May your spirit change us from the inside out. Oh, Father, I know I need it. Oh, Father, I pray you work in the lives of your people this morning. As the piano plays, just one stanza. Perhaps this morning you're saying, Pastor, that's, that's me this morning. That's me. I've been a little bit wayward. I've been looking at God a little bit too religiously and not enough personally. I just need Him to restore me. Would you just pray for me? If that's your hand, if that's your decision, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. I see that. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Perhaps this morning you're here and you've you've never made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Savior. You can't think of a time or a moment in your life where you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ you're saying, you know what, this morning, Pastor, I want to make that decision. If that's your decision, can I see your hand? I just want to pray for you. I want someone to show you that with the Bible that Jesus can be your Savior, that he can forgive you and heal you. Is there anyone like that this morning? Father, I pray now that as we end this time of service, I pray that what we have been taught by your spirit would be something that would carry us through this week. May we meditate upon it. May we be ready not only to understand it and to know it, but live it out. Be with our attitudes. Be with our walk with you and our work for you. Father, may we truly worship you and we truly see you as you are and we draw closer to you falling each day more and more in love with you i ask this in jesus precious name amen amen Amen. as we stand to our feet